welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Leah, an everyday runner interested in women's wellness, and this is Making Her Runner. Here, we speak to coaches, athletes, and subject matter experts to take a deep dive into the world of running as a female athlete. Through the insights of our guests and the lens of personal experience, we look to help you improve your running and enjoy every step of the way. Wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. How runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. So in the female body, whether you are training to climb a mountain, whether you are just keeping fit to be able to raise a child or play with a grandchild, or whether you're that elite participant, you, you're going to have to consider what estrogen is doing for four main tissues in your body. So as athletes, we're interested in our bones, our muscles, our joints and our tendons. Okay, so those four tissues are hugely supported by healthy levels of estrogen. It really is a body-mind connection. So the ability for us to still do what, what we traditionally used to call a Kegel exercise, so the knepe, wanting to stop midstream you know that sort of mimics that pelvic floor tightening if we can do that still keep a steady breath and still be firing our quads and our glutes there is a a huge uh, I mean that's like an orchestra playing that's a lot of coordinating of muscle function and so learning to do pelvic floor under load becomes the progression of what is just can I find my pelvic floor Nicola hello Leah G how are you running at the moment? I realized that I didn't actually ask you about your running the last time we sure. met. I know this is making her runner, but it's really important to stay up to date with everybody. Speaking of Davey and his broken collarbone. Yeah, no, this is very refreshing actually being asked because Davey never asked me about my running. I always <laughs> ask him about his running. So this is something that perhaps you'll learn from in future. But uh, yeah, look... Um, Davy is collarbone. I'm sure we'll get into it in the next uh, yeah. episode of Making a Runner. Um, so, unfortunately, it, his trip to Budapest really came crashing down to an halt in his mass participation 10K, 700 meters into the race. Took a tumble, running a little bit too fast, he says. I don't think I got the full picture yet. I'm waiting. I haven't got to see Davy yet. What's but the irony, though? I mean, last week yeah. we spoke about running injuries. It was your episode <laughs> with Julie. Yeah. And we're hitting into part two with Julie so I don't know Jules if you're listening to this if you've left some voodoo in the studio with yeah. injuries please clear it out because yeah. we definitely don't want any and back to it how how is yours going you're not struggling yeah. with anything are you no 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 my running's going well uh we're about six weeks out of Cape Town Marathon as we record or seven seven weeks and uh, yeah things are building up nicely we're starting to get more into the specific a marathon training block which is is tough i'm enjoying it uh, a lot of early mornings wake ups at least uh, the sun is starting to rise a little bit earlier mm, and it is getting so nice. warmer so yeah everything is looking on track and tell me about your running i feel like you've made a big progress and things are looking up yeah in a short space of time um like you training for cape town marathon sharing the road with you similarly enjoying the lovely mild weather that is rolling in for us and the sun rises and my running is currently feeling like it's in a nice sweet spot um but as we'll learn in this episode specifically that can just be hormones. I mean, last time I did an intro, I was telling you how poorly my 10K attempt <laughs> went. And this week, I feel like I am on top of the world. So yeah, Breaking Strava, <laughs> PRs, left, right and center. This is pretty standard, standard stuff for the female runner. But if you've never really understood why, then this episode is really great in helping you understand why those shifts happen, why you can go from feeling like trash in one run to really soaring at the next phase. So I'm enjoying it while it lasts. Um, I'm putting in as much as I can in this week and next week where I know I'll feel good. I've never been more motivated to get physically strong. I learned so much from Julie in this episode mm. about the role that estrogen plays in the female body and not just in how we feel and look, but how our muscles actually function at the core. So it was a really transformative episode for me and I really feel like I've been able to take that into my training this week. So I, yeah. I'm I'm all systems go, man. <laughs> you know, I'm really loving this segment of the show. We're having conversations that aren't 
your regular conversations they're often not spoken of and mm-hmm. it's really something that i think our audience has really enjoyed as well so i also just want to say thank you to everyone that has reached out to us uh, has uh, encouraged us and continues to motivate us and as uh, our diehard fans will know we've also released our first newsletter this week and that came with some some great feedback as well so if you aren't part of our newsletter list yet make sure to go to makingarunner.com and subscribe because you're going to be receiving your weekly running newsletter on a Monday morning. What a way to start the week. Oh, so exciting. And a lot of our guests, because obviously we try to keep these uh, these episodes as condensed and um, impactful as possible, sometimes guests would like to elaborate, but it's it would definitely steal from the conversation. So within these newsletters, there are additional pieces of information and resources. Julie has, in fact, sent me some information oh, that wow. I will be putting into next week's newsletter. So if you like today's conversation and you want to learn more, then like Nick said, hit subscribe. Um, but before we get going into today's conversation, I just want to give a shout out to a really lacquer local running brand and that is Run Wild Apparel who are really proud to partner with some other local manufacturers. They test all their products themselves and like they say, it's all about running wild. They're inspired by the KZN trails right here on the North Coast and they really are a premium quality South African running brand that all can enjoy friends family whether you're out on the promenade for a walk or you're hitting a a lacquer trail over the weekend with mates run wild is sure to have something great in their range for you if you want to view their new winter drop all you need to do is visit runwildza.co.za or you can simply follow their instagram page and that is run wild apparel z a run wild together we go far and then to give another shout out the hollywood bets 10 kilometer race in durban this week is happening on sunday the 3rd of september and guys it is sold out yeah we were supposed to embed an ad in here but we can't even advertise it to you because you can't get in wow it must be quite an exciting race but goes without saying if you haven't managed to get your entry and you are in durban on the weekend this sunday make sure to head down there because there's going to be some heated racing uh there's going to be great names uh there's going to be some awesome times being set and it's looking like it's going to be a perfect Sunday morning in beautiful Durban. So if you are around, don't despair, still come down, support the runners and enjoy your morning at the Hollywood Bets Durban 10 kilometer race. Asikijime. Asikijime. But for now, guys, let's get into this part two episode with Julie Rawdon. She was our guest last week, a physiotherapist, a runner herself, and an absolute mastermind when it comes to the female body. This is running for her hormones and injuries specific to the female runner. Enjoy. Jules, we have you back on the show again 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 and again <laughs> but we just can't get enough of you uh honestly the conversations the the stuff that we're learning from you it's been exceptional and we just thought that you know from a from a making her runner perspective i think there's a lot that we can give our listeners and a lot of information that we can talk about uh the main part of this conversation obviously as we've mentioned is about making her runner uh the hormones the injuries, uh, you know, the beautiful complexities of being a female athlete. And I think we can start right there. I mean, what are the main differences for female athletes to consider when it comes to to training or to running? So I think we should start by just acknowledging that women are wonderfully complex beings. Um, And I speak to that both body and mind. Uh, Billy Conley, um, he's a comedian, And he was quoted saying, a woman's mind is as complex as the contents of her handbag. There's always something at the bottom to surprise you. (laughs) And that's true of of athletes, whether they're leisure athletes or or our elite competitors. There's probably always something they've got tucked away that they can pull out at the end of a a long run, a fast run. Uh, So where there's a lady, there's probably a bit of magic. I love that. And uh, so I think in our unique composition and just the way we differ from, from, from males in terms of our hormone um, and, and body composition, I think it speaks to making sure that we utilize that which we have uh, in terms of 
probably very good body-mind connection. Uh, research talks about the hormone gap, um, and this is the very big difference between male competitors and female competitors in that the extra bit of testosterone enjoyed by most men is going to make them the slightly faster, stronger competitor. So if we compare race times or equivalent uh, paces at different parts of a, of a run, it would be safe to say that the, the men are probably going to be 10% faster than most of the women. That's not to say that if you extrapolate that and you compare the same two runners and you keep them on the road, uh, there's convincing evidence now which, which says that over a longer distance, women are starting to give men <laughs> something to think about. So we're giving men more reasons to, to work out how to run faster because definitely we are in an endurance setting and not over the shorter work, but we seem to be able to, for two reasons, uh, perform outperform on the, on, on the longer distances because of our ability to utilize energy differently. We have a different fat percentage in our bodies and we're just better at metabolically making that fuel available over a longer period of time. Um, and secondly, we seem to be better at pacing. So there was an interesting article. They looked at runners, uh, female runners, doing the London Marathon. And it seemed that women were less affected by the extrinsic factors. So they were less phased about the crowd and what was happening around them. So they tend to have that better mind-body connection, which made them better at pacing and being consistent over their mileage. So when you're getting beyond the 56, actually a Cape Town study proved this, that beyond 56 women were holding their own. So there were definite gaps between male and female runners up until the 56 mark. Beyond 56, that gap became smaller and smaller. So if we tend to pace more consistently and we're using our energy or our fuel as a resource more effectively, we should be able to stay out there for longer, okay. which is quite exciting. Can I add a third one there? I think another, a key component is also the pain uh, threshold. Uh, I, I just think that females have a much higher ability to endure pain uh, in general. You know, we know that the longer the run goes on, the more pain we're going to be in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it just takes you to look at the end of uh, the uh, Cape Town Ultra Marathon, the 56 Two Oceans, or the Comrades. Like you're seeing a lot of people in a lot of pain. Most of those, generally speaking, are the guys that are really struggling physically to to keep that pace so i think females in general have have a much higher capacity for pain is that is can that be a thing as well or so, uh, pain threshold is very much individual it's also culturally uh steered there, there are lots of of reasons why you either tolerate pain or not so uh, what is evident though is that we we seem to be able to uh govern what our bodies are doing because we we control the motherboard with with um, a greater um, ability, <laughs> so is that tactful? <laughs> uh, I'd say. Um, so we have a finely tuned internal clock, and whether pain is the stimulus, whether uh, we get on top of our our our, um, our fears or the idea of distance, we seem to to navigate that better. But once we go into the the, the longer distances, so. It definitely sounds like the female athlete does have some strengths that we can lean on. I mean, for too long, we've been referred to as the, the you know, not the weaker sex, but the, uh, the, the softer and the more delicate. But it seems like there are some real strengths that we can lean on. I guess the first question is for the listener who's sitting on the other end of this, having the body of knowledge that we have, we might take for granted. But what about the listener who doesn't really understand that physiological and hormonal difference in the female athletes? I mean, we hear about our sex hormones, our estrogen, our progesterone, but what, what does this actually do to the body and mind of the female and then the female who's exercising? So we have this wonderful hormone and more of it in, in females than in males. Um, so if we take estrogen and estrogen as a as a, a protective hormone in our in our pre premenopausal years and then after menopause, um, something which is starting to decline in our bodies, it becomes a really essential uh, hormone in, in supplementing. 
Um, estrogen is where it's at. Mm-hmm. So in the female body, whether you are training to climb a mountain, whether you are just keeping fit to be able to raise a child or play with a grandchild, or whether you're that elite participant, you, you're going to have to consider what estrogen is doing for four main tissues in your body. So as athletes, we're interested in our bones, our muscles, our joints, and our tendons. Okay, so those four tissues are hugely supported by healthy levels of estrogen. So when we start to see estrogen declining as we go through change of life, and I, and I want to just emphasize that menopause, um, we consider to be something that older athletes or older women are, are trying to straddle. Perimenopausal years can be um, right from the age of 35 onwards. Sure. So you can have an early onset change of life. And even at that point, you need to be conscious of what are you doing to make sure that you've compensated for that slow decline in your circulating estrogen. So it has a cardioprotective role, it has a bone protective role. Um, and I'm going to spend a bit of time explaining how our muscles desperately need estrogen. And given what it's doing for us, I think it's important that we as women embrace, um, and perhaps this is a good time to, to introduce this, uh, whether you are just a, an entry-level runner or you're just moving, there are probably four or three main um, areas that we, we want to try and be aware of, and that's making sure we have the right mindset, that we are training carefully, that we're looking at our nutrition, and we're looking at our recovery. Um, if you took a woman's body, a lot of it is cyclic. Okay, mm-hmm. So whether it's a menstrual cycle, in fact, everything about life is cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay, So we have different seasons, And so we have to behave differently during different seasons of our life and during different seasons in a a normal year. There are night and day seasons, menstrual cycles. All of these cyclic events mean that you have to learn what that thing is that you do to support your body for that part of the cycle. Mm. Okay, so whether you are in a puberty uh, phase, uh, in in a baby phase, so pregnancy, postpartum, or approaching a perimenopausal phase, that part of your cycle needs a different kind of approach and a different kind of support when it comes to nutrition, sound training, recovery, and all those things that we, all those tools um, that, that make us, you know, stay on the road. It's, it's such an interesting thing because, you know, we, we often struggle to associate what the hormones actually do for us. Like we know that they're there and we know that they come and go as, in terms of, like you mentioned, the cycles, but we, we struggle to connect the effect that they have on our performance, on our recovery status, on our ability to adapt to a certain stress or stimulus. Um, can you give us a little bit of information on that? Nick, I think muscles are the most exciting. If we look at uh, how important estrogen is, our muscle mass, once you take estrogen away or once you start to deprive the body of sufficient estrogen, the first thing that changes is physically the muscle mass. So that is the um, how much muscle you have on board. The second thing is how effectively that muscle will contract. So your power output. So we call that contractility. So the ability of that muscle to actually do its work is affected by the level of estrogen. So what happens when we do strength work? You know, strong is the new skinny. Correct. We're now reading that programs must include um, a variety of different kinds of running, but the big drive now is about what are we doing for weight-bearing exercise and strength training. Why is that strength training so important? We've got two different muscle fibers in our composition, fast twitch and slow twitch. So for muscles to retain their contractility or their power output, they need to have many fast twitch fibers. And as we age and estrogen starts to decline, those fast-twitch fibers become type 1 fibers. So if you could imagine hanging on like crazy to your fast-twitch fibers, you're going to maintain effective muscle contractility. Mm. So the only kind of training which keeps our fast-twitch in check is strength work. Okay, So um, it's no good to just pound the tar. Mm. That's not going to give you the muscle composition that's going to give you effective functionality so we're very interested in those training sessions which give us or hang on to our fast twitch ability Uh, where else is estrogen hugely important is in repair 
So if there's muscle damage, we don't necessarily repair as readily. Uh, so whatever damage, and there's micro damage with every run or every exercise um, session, the ability to recover from that is also hugely influenced by the estrogen. Uh, and then our ability to do what we call endurance is also going to be dictated by how much estrogen is on board. Um, so and that's just the muscle tissue. We haven't even mm. touched on how it's affecting tendon, bone, cardiovascular, and, uh, and, and joints. But I mean, in terms of that, then obviously throughout the cycle, you're going to go through phases where you're going to find your training easier and you're going to find your training more difficult based on these particular hormones. So in your beliefs, and I know that there's different chains of thoughts here. And I mean, we've spoken to elite level athletes that believe, you know, you, you should be able to just train because you never know when race day is going to come. Uh, but that's an elite mentality. Um, you know, for, for the regular runner or someone that is trying to get into running and really struggles during that time of the month or um, they the can lead up the lead up, the lead up, the couple of weeks on the lead up. Um, what would be your advice in that particular case? Would you say, you know, be kind to yourself during that time and just, you know, com compromise your training then so that you can super compensate when you're feeling good? So know your body. That's where it starts. We spoke about women being cyclic creatures. Okay, so knowing your cycle and knowing your, your ebb and flow is going to be important for what your expectation is. And if you are reading your own cues, you will know if you are managing to maintain the expectation of that particular workout. And if you know that for that week or during that phase, you're going to be less um, able-bodied, you're not going to have the same amount of, of comfort with your exercise workout, mm. then you have to be comfortable with tweaking the nature of that workout. So again, it, it comes down to supporting your body. So be comfortable with the idea that a swim or a walk is as valuable to your body during that phase of that cycle as a run. It, it's going to do as much for you. And so being flexible in your head about what does my body need, not what does my logbook require, or what does my training program insist on, what would my body best respond to is the question to ask. And I think that is such an important question because as you've mentioned here yeah, and hinted to, menopause is something that we will all experience as women. That's a given. When it comes and how it comes, it seems like we can be doing better for our bodies to ensure that that entering that phase and then going through that phase is not necessarily easier, but less severe. But personally, I haven't even thought about it. So yes, we're taking the long approach the, the, the longevity approach to so many aspects of our lives, but I will be honest in saying that I haven't even thought of that. So I guess my question is, if we know that the body works in cycles, estrogen itself follows a cycle, it peaks, it troughs, we know that there are better and worse things that we can be doing to support these cycles. One of them, like you're saying over here, actually respect the fact that an easier session has more value for the long-term but what are we doing in our day-to-day -day that's possibly disrupting how this estrogen ebbs and flows and how that makes us feel in our day-to-day -day life, not only on the road? So simply put, I think sleep and diet. You've already done quite a bit on nutrition. Uh, we know how sleep tends to restore homeostasis. It's, it's our housekeeping time. It's at the time when our brain, which is frankly where all of our neuro endocrine hormonal uh, you know, communications are happening. So if you're not sleeping sufficiently or well, or the quality, the actual architecture of your sleep is lacking, mm -hmm. that's going to be the first change. And we, we forget how key the communication is between endocrine, which is our hormone system, our brains, so our nervous system, and then actually our immunity and linked to that inflammation. Mm -hmm. So look no further than your, the quality of your sleep. I think that's, that's key. And I, and I think on top of that to mention, you know, what we spoke about in the previous conversation with Davey is that the stress response, you know, the load 
the accumulated load the over stress soup stress <laughs> soup you know um, obviously that plays a major role in in hormone health um, obviously even more important in in female health and speaking like you mentioned fat percentages and that you know we get into that overtraining uh, type of curve that we don't want to get to and now you know we we start to drop body weight we start to decrease our fat percentage now all of us our hormones are all over the place that how does that affect it you're really going into a a low-grade chronic inflammatory state and so we, we secrete cortisol during a stressful event and we are really cleverly designed that way our stress response is a survival strategy that our body implements we're just supposed to be able to turn off that cortisol production. So your adrenals that are making all this cortisol, which is a very important coping hormone, needs to 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 have ebb and flow. So we need to know when to switch off that cortisol. So in a chronic stress situation, and that can be emotional stress, physical stress. So training is seen as a stress. Mm. Um, over, overload, then distress. So physiology, the fine line between what our bodies need and respond to and adapt to, is quickly overwhelmed and then becomes catabolic or destructive. So that that soup that we are continually functioning in, your main ingredient there being cortisol, unless that remits, we don't go back into our normal state of rest repose. We are that seesaw. We spoke Mm. about parasympathetic and sympathetic. So, uh, you know, as runners, we're going to find adrenaline somewhere. <laughs> we, we all love it and we, we go to it. But that chemical supports us during that fight, flight, or, or during the, the, the need for action. Then we must switch back to some kind of rest, digest phase. And that ability, what you're trying to do is teach the body to be able to move between. So the stress axis needs to uh, act and then go back to its resting state. And, and, and that we call, it's actually called allostatic load. If we it's another cycle. Another cycle. <laughs> Allostasis is the ability to maintain that homeostatic place. Allostatic load is where you just have consecutive load and you don't ever recover. And then very quickly, it's like that bucky that's really badly <laughs> packed and loaded. It starts to tip and, and, and then you have... And I mean, we've spoken quite a bit about estrogen in terms of the other hormones, the other sex hormones that female health is uh, implicated when it comes to what we're we're talking about right now. Progesterone, equally important. Equally as important. Um, And so if you look at the interplay, and and that's where HRT perhaps received unfair criticism. Uh, There was a study, and it was a, a, a study that was published, and it had taken a sample of women who had comorbid features, things like diabetes, high blood pressure, and they were given what we call combined therapy, estrogen and progesterone. And then there were incidents of breast cancer. And the assumption was that HRT had been what caused the breast cancer in these in these um, sample ladies. So that was clumsy reporting and it was clumsy publication and it, it led to people mistrusting or being weary of HRT. Again, anything we say today must be backed up by, you know, professional advice. Mm. We all have doctors we see and specialists in their field. So this has to be considered for each individual. But the idea that we are proactive in supporting um, our need for estrogen therapy in the in the early phases of that perimenopausal time is hugely clever at this stage. We understand that better. Um, the need for combined therapy, there are those candidates who would be better supported if they had both estrogen and progesterone. But deciding whether you need supportive hormone intervention is based on a set of blood results that are reviewed and, and obviously taking into account a bigger picture. So we, we, need, we need the E and the P. Mm. Mm. That's so interesting, Jules, because it definitely sounds that there are things that we can be doing to make these major life changes that are going to come our way a little bit more bearable. One of which is exercise is running many people many women come to running as a means to improve their health but then on the converse like we've just chatted about if we're overdoing it we may actually be speeding up a negative metabolic um, system so it sounds like it's such a fine balance to find and it's important to note then that it isn't just about 
how much running you're doing or how little running you're doing or how much you are, <laughs> what your compliance is to that program. But all the other lifestyle things that we're doing, the sleep, which you stressed, is majorly, majorly important. The mind, the trusting yourself, the ability to actually go, I, I, I'm hearing the cue, I respect the cue, and I'm going to do what the cue is asking me to. Um, but then I guess the question is, how much does routine play a role in this cycle does routine make this cycle flow better is it a better cycle then I mean and what do we need to be adding into this routine if I am now going to set myself up with the ideal conditions to have this ebb and flow what what am I doing practically so if we're going to introduce safe and reasonable uh, tailored movement and and I include a swim a walk a run if we're going to put movement into a daily routine, mm -hmm. uh, we need to make sure that within our diet we've done things to support those things which make us move well and easily. So is there vitamin D? Is there calcium? Is there sufficient protein intake? So if you're going to embark on more running or more exercise, mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you've given your body those building blocks. So protein becomes an interesting one to discuss because women tend to... Uh, I think we used to think of it as being kind of men ate meat and, mm. and women ate salad. Um, so, so now we know differently. And interesting, we spoke about uh, how muscle relies heavily on, on a safe estrogen level. Um, we know weight bearing for women, particularly as bone density becomes challenged. Once we know that spending too long on the road is going to actually... Uh, deplete a bone density, it becomes even more important to be mindful of the supplements. So that would be um, something to include mm. if, if this is going to be the supportive um, advice. We want to make sure that we're taking adequate protein, our vitamin D and our calcium. And then hydration in women becomes also a, a very key thing. And, and some women will limit their intake on the road simply because they're worried about needing to go to the toilet. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we recognize that all of these things, hydration, 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 we've, we, we've got to make sure that we've factored that in to the time spent on our feet. So, so time on feet, the length of the run, don't, yeah, don't, don't hold back on, on adequate hydration. And just to say, we, we spoke about the protective nature of estrogen on muscle. We know that to keep our fast twitch fibers, we need to make sure we're doing strength work, mm -hmm. or some kind of resistance work. The weight bearing to reverse that tendency for bones to become osteopenic or for bone density to start to lessen is in fact the weight bearing. But there's a fine line between pounding that tar excessively uh, because the negative impact of that is unless you are putting in the right bone hardening minerals and supplements you need to yeah you need to make sure that that they are equal while we on supplements Jules it's something that I would have slipped into the latter stages of the conversation if we didn't cover it because often we we look at supplements last rightly so because first should be correct nutrition sleep etc and then as the name suggests supplementation but certain supplements are, like you say, more important for certain bodily processes. And especially talking in the context of running, if we are doing it wrong, we'll probably be depleting into those stores quicker than what we can rely on our bodies to naturally replace. Obviously, vitamin D, not something we can conjure up by ourselves. But when we're looking at general supplementation, there's one that I would like to pause on and ask a little bit more about, and that's magnesium. Because as far as I understand, magnesium plays quite an important role in our muscles. We've mentioned the important role that estrogen now plays in muscles, but magnesium, uh, muscles rely on magnesium to contract, if I've got that right. But then it also plays such an important role in our body sleep cycles. It also plays such an important role in our mood. So maybe... Is magnesium one of those silverish bullets that we can readily start introducing into our daily lives? And how much better would we feel if those were optimal? Are you ready to make a difference through your passion for running? This Women's Month, we're teaming up with the cause that's close to our hearts, the Red Movement. Their mission is to create menstrual equity by providing menstrual cups to girls in need across Africa. Here's the power of running in action. By supporting the Red Movement, 
We're using our shared passion for running to transform lives and ensure that all girls have equal access to education. And the ability to participate in sports. Giving back has never felt so good. Support the Red Movement during Women's Month by pledging a cup for 100 Rand and you will automatically be entered into a giveaway. Where you stand a chance to win a prize hamper worth 8,000 Rand. Visit my page at G or the Red Movement on Instagram for more information. Let's run together, change lives and make menstrual equity a reality. If you look at any combined female vitamin complex, so, so vitamin... Supplements are now done um, not just as individual elements that we mm. take. They usually are combined with what they are going to work well with. Mm. So, so different minerals in our bodies are carried by certain molecules. So you'll often find that magnesium is prescribed with another, you know, your, 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 your muscle function or just the ability for that cross bridge to, to work. Um, with contractility, you need MGNCA. So you need calcium and magnesium. Um, anybody who's spending time out there sweating needs to address their magnesium level. Okay. Uh, so equally, your evening primrose oil, that's another supplement which women should be probably including. What uh, does that do? It's a, that, that, could be a, that could be a silver bullet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so I, would, I would then, and, and again, uh, this is not uh, sort of um, advice, it's, it's just a, it, it's a, it's an opinion, it's, it's a guideline. I think to go and get something of a multivitamin that is designed to support where women tend to be lacking. So if you look at the components of what a men's, if you took any of of the range that we have available, um, they will combine those things that are key to a lady's functioning and those that are key to a men's functioning. So that's an easy way that you've probably ticked all your boxes. And if you look at what's in there, there is magnesium. There's Mm -hmm. going to be evening primrose oil. Um, And we need that for... Um, yeah, so, so for many functions. Can, can I have primrose oil? Of course you can. I, we can, I uh, just want to make sure I can be in the same routine as my wife. I don't want to get left <laughs> behind. Yeah. Primrose almost sounds like one of those old wives tales, like your granny would no, tell you to real. take some primrose. It's real, it's real. <laughs> so Jules, be, before moving on, there's a couple of points that I want to bring up from what you mentioned. So first, I think it's important that, you know, Leah's journey coming to running it's been a a stop start journey it's been one day where she had to find her right routine and that most importantly for the health of her hormones and making sure that she gets you know the right supplementation and getting on the right track it hasn't been easy it's been a difficult road and as much as you know living in a household with me all the knowledge that we can have in terms of training and adapting training and making sure it's it's been difficult. And I find that that you know some people just start running and I don't know whether it's a lack of connection to their body, but they just can progress and keep on going. Or is it a fact that you know some people just st- just struggle and it takes a long time? It takes more than what we mentioned in the previous podcast. Tim Noak saying eighteen months. For some people it takes years and years and years to get that routine right. Um, maybe you could share a little bit with with the listeners in terms of like what you've had to do and where you've come from from a hormonal perspective, mm-hmm. and then maybe Jules can just weigh in with her opinion on that. I think it's important to understand that by nature, I'm quite competitive. So when I started running, I wanted to be good at it and I wanted to be good at it quickly. So I did kind of tune down the warning signals. And also, I guess I was I was young, so things recovered quickly. I could, out, my output was able to be larger naturally because I was running in a younger body it was also not too long since I'd left school so you know being in school and we take for granted how active our lifestyles are and how diverse our activity is then as we get older things get quite repetitive so I found running and I wanted to be good at running and I think the biggest mistake that I made was turning off my body's warning signals and pushing through. It took me a long time to understand and to also believe that softer, slower, gentler, it, it, it took me a long time to actually value that for myself and, and to accept that it is okay to be average. (laughs) I'm an average runner. I really am. But I know 
when I'm running better. And what I've started to value more now is feeling good while I'm running and I'm still getting there. My hormones aren't balanced. I am irregular and some months really are so much better than others. I feel like I'm making progress in one di- one direction and then I have a cycle of 44 days and I'm like, actually, WTF, what is going on here? So I don't have the answers, but it's because of conversations like we're having with you here, Jules, where I am asking the questions that I hope other people are thinking of. Go, and even if they may seem quite simple, I mean, what is this little flow that my hormones need to follow? And how can I help it flow better so that I can now start logging more predictable, regular cycles and start looking to those cycles to then inspire my training. And just to weigh in, like coming from a space where you were on the pill, wanting to yeah, move off of the huge. pill, going into homeopathic medicine and then trying to wean off homeopathic medicine. And it's just, it's been a journey. And like she says, it, it's not right. It's not there yet, it's but it's making progress. <laughs> it's just, I wonder how many other people struggle with that. And that's why I want to make it public. And I want people to know that you know, they're not alone and struggling with that as well. I think that's a, a very big challenge for lots of coaches if you took even the gymnastic population. So dysmenorrhea or amenorrhea, mm. anything which doesn't, uh, wouldn't be considered a normal hormonal cycle is actually very, very common. So much as we see exercise as a healthy stimulus, there's a fine line between it interfering with the body's cyclic events. Mm. So we underestimate, um, we, we spoke of the things that are going to be helpful and we said sleep, we said nutrition. It wouldn't be uncommon for someone in your age group to still be trying to establish a normal flow. Mm. Uh, and so we, are, we started out this conversation acknowledging just how complex we are. <laughs> So our, our hormone, our endocrine homeostasis is going to be very easily tipped mm. by our <laughs> extrinsic factors. So we are eating foods these days that are just hormonally doctored. So the, the very things that we just include in our daily intake are, could be um, already um, tampered with, as it were. So, so we have different, almost unwittingly, we are being um, tweaked and although we have discussed stress and all of us are trying to be more mindful of, of moving away from uh, stressful situations, um, stress is a very, very quiet and, and almost it goes unnoticed. Mm. And it would be amazing if we could quantify, um, if the studies could, ac- could actually say what does uh, some level of stress, whichever stress it, it forms, just physiological stress, what does that do to the, to the endocrine system? Uh, and so um, don't be discouraged if it seems to be erratic. Mm. And, and again, I would encourage anyone who is experiencing flux and, and it seems to be interfering with what you'd like to be just a more routine program uh, to, to have it investigated. You know, there could be um, that uh, domain of, of contraceptive pill which is suitable for you. There are lots of women out there who don't respond well to the pill. So we have different measures, whether it's of contraception or controlling hormones for the sake of skin. Um, and our, our pharmacology is very clever now. So there are, there are ways and means of tweaking it. But that's got to be under the guidance of, of someone who mm. you trust and who's, who's monitoring you and, and blood levels that are taken and then re-looked at and revised. Leah, if I was going to encourage you or support you in that sense, I would ask of you to, to look at three, three important factors. Um, your intensity or your dose of exercise that you want to be intentional about. I would ask you about um, how consistent do you think you are in your training throughout a training block or over a year. And then um, are you bringing about a degree of variability? And those are not the things that we just uh, sort of put into every program. Um, when I say intensity, for some women during that lousy time of the month, mm. a three to four out of ten effort training run is where you need to stay. And you've got to be comfortable with knowing that that dose, that intensity is kind on your body. So I, I think we have to address intensity. There's no good pushing during that phase. Um, and then if there are those days where running seems harder, be flexible enough, mentally agile enough to say, if I just keep my aerobic base and I chose to walk today, 
that would probably make my head, my heart, and my body feel a whole lot easier. <laughs> and then variability. So variability allows us to have a protection factor uh, because we've minimized impact. So the minute that we've changed it up for our bodies, mm-hmm. because we might have uh, lower back pain during that crazy part of our cycle. So that's the day that pounding the tarmac would be just not advisable. So being willing to go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up. A swim would be better for me. So I encourage anyone who's plagued by that, and it is, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a frustrating week, or in your case, more than one week. Yeah. Um, and so if you can just pay attention to um, what is my dose and can I vary it? And then, and then what could I do to, to be consistent that I feel I've got my, my, my dose of movement, but has it been kind to all my systems, my head, my heart, my body? I think that's definitely been happening in my training this year without knowing. I have improved on all three of those metrics and I can say that I am running happier than I've ever run before. And what it required was a step away from the masses. I had to go inward. I had to actually learn how to listen to my body because we throw that phrase around quite a lot. But it's really hard in group mentality. I mean, looking back at last week's episode, like you said, we are, we're pack animals. So we look to the leaders of the pack and, we, and rightly so, we aspire to be better But sometimes there are places in our training that we can only go alone. And anybody who is listening to this, it was the best thing that I could have done. And I would encourage anybody who's feeling like they're in a confusing space with running to go and try some new things alone. It's it's the best way to connect with yourself. (laughs) So it's two steps. It's hearing the cue and then responding appropriately. So lots of us hear the cue, turn down the volume and don't act. So it's hear the prompt and then and then and then action. Um, Brilliant, Nick. You you asked what would be uh, why why do some seem to respond to this newfound form of exercise? Why do some people struggle to get into some kind of road hard state? Why would why would conditioning take that much longer for one athlete? Um, there's huge variability. Mm. Um, if we took differences between men and women, um, unfortunately for the women out there, we are more prone to injury. Our pelvises are wider. Okay, so we have a wide, wider pelvis. So we have a different angle between our hip and our knee. We call this the Q angle. So because of that Q angle, we are just more prone as women to knee pain, hip pain. Um, so the statistics look at all the, you know, those pesky sort of complaints that plague all of us runners. The main four would be knee pain, hip pain, a stress fracture, and probably shin splints. So those are all those complaints we get down that kinetic chain. And there's evidence to say that because our pelvises are slightly more mobile, uh, and for those preggy fairies, when we've got that hormone relaxin circulating, laxity is a big concern. Our ligament system is just that much more forgiving during those times. Uh, we are going to injure more readily than our male mm-hmm. counterparts. And, and I want to mention on top of that, you know, I think, flexibility mobility is something that people look to to say oh i'm not flexible enough oh i'm not mobile enough but actually as a runner you you don't need a lot of mobility you need a lot of stability, stability. and that's what that, that that was just a point that i wanted to just raise on what you said jules but from previously the other thing that i wanted to mention is you mentioned uh the hydration situation with ladies and going to the toilet. And we were talking a little bit of, of this off air and it got me thinking about it. And I want to ask you, because oftentimes we'll be at the start of a race and you look at the men's queue and you look at the ladies' queue and the ladies are just all standing there trying not to weed themselves. <laughs> and simple. it's a mess. I'll go through an entire seven and a half hour comrades without needing to wee the entire run. Um, what are certain considerations that ladies can take and? So we have a very complex pelvic floor. And um, because of our slightly wider hip structure, or pelvis structure, uh, we have this um, downward action because we are pounding the tar. And so our ability for our bladder to be supported by this hammock that sits underneath us is compromised by 
the repetitive load. Okay, so um, and it's not just on the road, by the way. It's not just female runners who seem to be struggling with incontinence. And um, I'm going to specify just older runners. Sorry to to bring not at that all. in, but I mean, not I'm at all. 28 and. I'm leaky. <laughs> so those those leaky runs are more common, and it's that thing that no one wants to talk about. So it's it's prevalent, but it's prevalent in any high impact it's exercise. It's not just female runners per se who are struggling with incontinence. We 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 divide incontinence into three different types. So there's a proper stress incontinence, which is just what you're feeling where there's that sudden leak. And provided it's not then followed up by um, an urgency. Mm. There's that leaky moment, and then the pelvic floor regains a bit of uh, its its tension, and, and then you can you can stop that flow. Uh, urge incontinence is something very different, and then you get a third type, which is actually a mixture of stress incontinence and urge incontinence. Again, this is something that needs to be assessed by that professional that you trust and and who knows you, but. We see it in about 38% of women doing any form of high-impact exercise. That is the prevalence. It's just that people won't talk about it. Mm. So we also think it's because you've had troublesome childbirth. There are women who haven't yet entered into that baby phase of their lives, and they cough and sneeze and find that they're leaky. So (laughs) it is um, more common than we think, and it is very normal. And I, I just here want to say there's an amazing branch of physio which dedicates all of um, its energy to women's health. So we bang on about a you know core and certainly core strengthening and specifically the pelvic floor will mitigate all of these you know issues to a degree. Uh, there are more serious states where there's actual prolapse and that's going to need different intervention. But if all of us were a bit better about being able to activate the pelvic floor, uh, we also leak because of a, a, a pelvic floor that's too tight. Mm. Um, and something which we underestimate is our need for breath control. If we if we put a bit more time into focusing on how we breathed, our breath, our diaphragm, just our, our breathing alone influences continence. Wow. And uh, so so that's that's actually where 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 pelvic floor training will start is just with breath control. So I think it's very valuable for the female athlete to be doing something towards optimizing pelvic floor function. Uh, bear in mind that's also going to offset injuries, and that in conjunction with sound core work is going to augment any you know training effort. Sure. Four out of ten women, eh? That's 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 a high number. That's all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so thirty-eight percent of people will have experienced that leaky yeah. moment, and the other thing is that you'll see during the cycle, whichever <laughs> part of the cycle you're on, you will be more prone to that or not. I found at the, uh, um, I guess my if you're looking at a four-week cycle around week three, um, where things are, I mean, your body is facilitating an exit. So things do, they need to get softer and laxer. I find it is more difficult to control the tensity of my core. And then, yeah, the, the <laughs> how leaky I am. And especially, I'm so glad you mentioned under high intensities, because now that I'm picking up my speed work, I find that in that little moment of deceleration, not only am I trying to control how my legs are decelerating but also just how much my bladder muscles are kind of decelerating (laughs) so it really is a body mind connection so the ability for us to still do what what we traditionally used to call a kegel exercise so the canape wanting Mm. to stop midstream you know that sort of mimics that pelvic floor tightening if we can do that still keep a steady breath and still be firing our quads and our glutes. There is a, a, a huge, uh, I mean, that's like an orchestra playing. That's a lot of coordinating of muscle function. And so learning to do pelvic floor under load becomes the progression of what is just, okay, can I find my pelvic floor? Because yeah. a lot of us don't really know. And and that's where women are probably a little bit better skilled. Uh, Nick, you're uh, desperate to say something. I want to try a little exercise here with our listeners. Perhaps maybe oh. we, you can talk them through a Kegel exercise, a, a, a deep pelvic floor activation. Just I can tell you now that anybody who has listened up to this point has done at least one Kegel. Yeah, but perhaps <laughs> some tried. people are like, no, I've actually never done one in my life. Like I have no connection to my core. So you get people like that that just that says nothing. 
So I think our, our auditory cue or our visual cue, so you have to unpack this differently for men <laughs> versus women. So as long as we have a visual, we can usually associate a muscle contraction or some activity below the navel if, we, if we're thinking about what that looks like, what that feels like. Um, and I think perhaps when it's ladies, it's helpful to uh, talk about the internal straw. And if I'm working with a patient and I'm trying to isolate, get them to find that feeling of the pelvic floor, I will say to them, can you draw water up through your straw and keep it there? Um, oh my God, it's like involuntary. I might say something different, tactful to a male patient. I'll ask him to imagine wading into really, really cold water <laughs> and thinking that he had to lift his scrotum because the water was that cold. <laughs> so lift your nuts. Men's Health did a very interesting article and they were trying to distinguish what would be uh, a core contraction and what would just be a big ab workout. Mm. And their, their sort of springboard to try and get men to think of core versus strong abdominals was actually to get them to find their pelvic floor. So if you can think of sucking up the straw or lifting your nuts, <laughs> you probably have activated something down south. And then, and then it's the ability to still have a conversation yeah. while that activity or while oh. that, that tension, that activation is, is, is there. So audibly count while you're keeping the water there, uh, while you're lifting, laugh, you know, it's it's combining those two actions. Okay, so and I'm it, gonna it's all in your head. <laughs> I'm gonna try and ask you this next question whilst keeping a, a steady flow in my straw. <laughs> so Jules, seeing that we are speaking so much about the pelvic floor right now, there is a magical time in a woman's life where there are major changes around the pelvic floor. And that's now pregnancy. And I know that you said there is a whole branch of physio that is dedicated to the subject. But I think we've covered menopause briefly. We've spoken about hormonal changes. But this is probably the biggest and most major hormonal change outside of menopause that a woman will go through and in a very short period of time but it's not so much the hormones that I want to focus on but the body changes and now the female who has kind of dabbled with running or is currently running or would like to continue running during their pregnancy this is a big question that I'm sure a lot of women go back and forth with but how do you even start to advise the woman who is now newly pregnant and wants to run. So the, the, the amazing thing about a woman's body is, for the most part, and there are those women who are plagued with a really troublesome pregnancy, but your body's probably at its best when it is supporting a fetus. So a growing thing inside of you needs you to be in your prime. Okay, So that's why sometimes women glow. Their hair and nails improve. Everything looks amazing. Um, so uh, because this isn't my, my area or my scope, um, I asked a trusted, lovely colleague of mine to give me guidelines. Um, how would she as a gynecologist be advising her new preggy mom if she were that active bunny wanting to continue exercising? Um, so this is a, a fairly broad guideline. But uh, simply put, if you pre-pregnancy were active, traveling and on the go working exercising you should be able to continue doing all of those so they talk about um, activity of travel work exercise and even intercourse if those things are happening normally for you pre-pregnancy there is no reason for those things to really change mm -hmm. anytime soon what needs to be or for you to omit or stop any of those you would have to change up of those things we referred to just now intensity Okay. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be ad advisable to carry on with the same um, time on road or intensity of exercise. But we always advise at least 30 minutes of exercise, even for um, first trimester, second trimester. So then you have to look at the, the pregnant mum and say, how is that pregnancy progressing? And if it's a troublesome pregnancy or if there's any concern, then it has to be tailored to, to that particular mum. Uh, so the antenatal run, we would say safely you could keep going into your second trimester. That third trimester will be dependent on the individual. Mm. Um, I think what's equally important is that hormone, which is preparing your body for that amazing process of delivering a baby. Relaxin makes our ligament structures more lax. 
So that hormone circulates from the beginning of pregnancy but becomes more and more um, towards the end. And as your, your, your uh, pelvis is preparing to be a more... Uh, a pelvis that's going to be able to, to, to deliver a child, it's going to get stretchier and more forgiving. Mm. So you're going to have too much shear force if you're taking that same pelvis and pounding the road. That, that stands to reason. So the same effect of relaxing being in your system, um, affecting your connective tissues, is true postpartum. So the guideline there would be um, wait to get back on the road at least 12 weeks having had baby. And that's for a, a, an uncomplicated, very general uncomplicated. And pregnancy. here's the thing: we take into account your previous pregnancy, the state you were in prior to conceiving, mm. and then how your pregnancy is currently. And so, those three parameters are going to dictate: Are you that runner that can carry on running? Should you just then walk and swim? Because there is that phase in time when that would be a more advisable form of of cardio of moving so yeah. just keep your aerobic base and 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 change up your your, your time frame and and jules i want to ask the runner that has now had her baby and now wants to get back to running i know you said 12 weeks um but some of them experience a lot of pain and discomfort in getting back into running and their running body is just not the same they they feel disconnected from what they were and what they want to be able to get back to. And it really takes a long time to get to that. Uh, what are your opinions on that? Um, so doing a little bit of reading ahead of today, there was a fascinating story. I think she was Canadian and it was about two years ago. An ultra trail runner finished ahead and I mean quite far ahead, two, two hours or more ahead of her male participants. Whoa. And she breastfed twice on <laughs> <laughs> and it was a 260-kilometer event. Oh, my. So here's a nerves. trail runner who's run for 260 kilometers. She's breastfed twice on the way, and she's beat her male counterparts more than two hours over I the line. I do just want to mention in this period as well, I mean, everything that we've spoken about today and how we can support our bodies from a sleep, from a nutrition perspective – how does all of that not go out the window when you've got a new baby who is, you, you are at their whim, every beck and call. I mean, we're telling people to sleep. We're telling people to eat. But you are definitely your last priority during that period of time. I mean, it must be really tricky. So kudos to that woman. I mean, here she is. She's probably <laughs> exceptional. Yeah. What I'm saying her is... Counterparts. <laughs> So that, that, that lady who's finding it hard to get back to the road, Nick, if you look at what your body's doing, so sleep is definitely faulty mm -hmm. because you're waking to your newborn. Uh, and so if that body is still, uh, if you are that, that breastfeeding mum, a lot of your uh, intake is obviously going to be about feeding that child. So you've you, you got to be very aware of putting back. Mm. And uh, so just that birth process and then the, the beginning phases of, of raising this little human, uh, that's a huge output. So, so your coupons are being spent mm. in, in, in a very different area. So what you have left really to spend on the road or spend on a bike or is just less. So I think it, it is, um, it's a time game. And what would be counterproductive would be trying to contract that time and mm. rush getting back there. Why? Because there is still a bit of hormonal imbalance. You haven't yet got back that allostasis or that homeostatic place of what you were pre. So, so you've got to give your body time to, 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 to strengthen again. And obviously the pelvic floor goes through a lot. So it's not, it's not uncommon for ladies to struggle with pelvic floor issues post postpartum. postpartum. Yeah. And in running in particular, I mean, I've had examples where some clients of mine you know they struggle particularly not so much when they're running but when they stop so say now if they have to stop at a robot and now they're, in, they're getting excruciating you know deep pelvic floor pain and then once they get going again it's okay like those are normal things to experience postpartum and also you are you are now holding this tiny baby so more than likely you're holding that baby on your dominant hip so your alignment is very different but you're still in that relaxing phase, so there is a degree of laxity. So your ability for form closure across that pelvis, across the, the, the iliac, sacroiliac joint, it's just not there. So, so shear force um, acts very differently through that skeleton. Mm. And uh, so that, that will be, you know, jointy pain. Yeah. Um, and to be expected. <laughs> I think 
the the um the take home there is coming back to variability again. It's okay. I know this is a running po- a podcast, but it's okay to not be a runner for a period of time and to reason le- and season to lean into other things to enjoy that season as well. It is also so brief, so if you can lean into the more gentler things like some Pilates some walking, some swimming that's going to allow you to work on your breath work simultaneously. There's a whole nother world out there. <laughs> it's finding your why. So why would you want to be on the road if you could be cuddling your little one? I think there, there's so many different um, moms out there. And I mean, you, if ever you were going to be challenged by anything, motherhood's going to be probably one of the biggest challenges. So if you thought you were hardcore because you could stay on the road for a long time, just wait <laughs> until motherhood. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there, Jules. But um, um, I think, you know, today's conversation was probably one of my favorite ones. It was it was so insightful and um, yeah, you really have a way of explaining things, Jules. So I just want to say thank you uh, from my side. Um, it was extremely, extremely knowledgeable and well put. And I think, you know, we didn't ramble on about certain topics. We covered a lot of topics and I know a lot of these things, you know, we could just talk about pregnancy for an entire show but we touched on some key points and yeah, just again, thank you for your time. Uh, it's, I know it's really invaluable for us and I'm sure Leah will, will say the same thing. No, for sure, Jules. Honestly, I, I, I often joke and runners who listen to the podcast and who run on the road with us will know that I've made the statements a few times this week alone. But if we ever had to repopulate the earth, you would be my candidate. <laughs> you are uh. like the ideal <laughs> You're the ideal person. You are so lovely and so kind and so knowledgeable. And thank you for coming on and making me feel, I honestly, I sat with a few tears bobbing at the, <laughs> at the brink over here. Just to, to hear, I think, is so powerful that it's okay to run your own race. It's okay to struggle with these things. It's okay if you're leaky. We love you still. So thank you. Thank you for putting that message out there. My privilege, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.